We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Daily news, as we always do. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, you know kind of how the the NBA regular season continues to feel a little bit devalued. What we could potentially do, what the NBA could potentially do to combat that, uh, and then we are going to look back at one of our our activities from the doldrums of the pandemic back in 2020. Uh, you did a great job going back and digging up a a draft that we did. I think this was like during the intermediate period when the season was suspended and before it resumed. In the bubble, we, we were digging deep for content at that time. We were, we were doing some rewatches. We were kind of just trying to find ways to, to manufacture anything to talk about on this pod. And I, I believe, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, the idea was that we were going to draft teams of players that we would want for the next five years. And it has not been five years. We'll, we'll make sure to make a note and check back in on this two years from now. Uh, but we're, we're essentially at the halfway point, maybe a little bit further. So we want to go back, take a look at those teams, you know, kind of laugh at ourselves and what we got wrong. Talk about some of the guys who, you know, if we were to do this exercise now would be obvious inclusions or obvious omissions. Yeah, I was, I was sort of accidentally reminded of this the other week. And I was like, I think we should do a review pod. Cause you know, sometimes we like, you know, we review, Oh, these were the futures picks we liked at the beginning of the year. How could they turn out? But I don't remember last time we've reviewed sort of like a mock draft style thing. We've Mm -hmm. done from like three, two, three, four years ago. I, now, I don't remember, was this for fantasy or was this for real life? This was for real life. Okay, so if we, we were constructing 12 players. Yes. Yes, yeah, we, if we were constructing. Players, basically just saying, these are the 12 guys I would want if I'm trying to win the title or just put together the best super team. Yeah, essentially. Like, if you if my team and your team had to play each other for the next five years, that was kind of like the um, the thought there. Okay. Okay, so that's a nice little teaser. We'll get to that. Uh, once we hit on all the top news of the day, looking forward to digging in 
on those teams. Um, I, I know there was a note that we, we considered Andre Drummond. That That's what the league was in 2020. All right. It, it feels like not that long ago, but uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to go back and, and kind of talk about which players have had their value, you know, increase or fall off in a relatively short period of time. But we got some pretty positive injury news for the most part, Alex. Uh, and it starts with Anthony Davis, who is expected to be back in the lineup tonight for the LA Lakers. They're playing on the second night of a back-to-back got just housed yet again by the Clippers uh, last night in, in Staples or the, the arena formerly known as Staples 46 for LeBron. This turned into such a classic uh, LeBron knew they were going to lose and he just kind of wanted to salvage what he could as far as scoring. And, you know, he's up over 30 points per game now for the season. Um, and yet it, it feels like the Lakers have, you know, once again, kind of fallen into a rut that, you know, they'll, they'll lose three, then they'll, they'll beat a good team and they'll lose three more. The, the standings in the Western Conference are so ridiculously stacked up right now that the Lakers are in 13th and they are four games out of being in fourth place. Yeah, the, the parody in the NBA is is crazy. Like every every night is basically, especially in the West, is a comp is like teams are competitive against each other. Like the spreads, if you look at the gambling, are pretty close all the time, obviously barring injury. But all of these teams, they just like very few of them stand out, right? Besides Memphis and Denver. So almost any other team the the Lakers are playing, it's it's going to be, you know, they don't really have any games off, so to speak, unless they're playing the bottom four of, of Charlotte, Detroit, San Antonio, and Houston. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And we we talked about that, you know, the first month or two of the season, how it felt like pretty much every night the the standings would just do a complete scramble. And we're like, we're like almost at the 50 game mark for the entire year. And that's still the case. You know, it, it, if you if you go a full week without like really paying attention to the NBA, all of a sudden you'll see like what the Sacramento Kings are in third place in the Western Conference. All of a sudden, the the Portland Trailblazers, who were leading the West not that long ago, are are down in twelfth place. They had lost eight out of twelve. Um, like I, I still feel like we have no real clarity in the West, and I, I think Denver and Memphis have been the two that at least the last month or so have been consistently in those one and two spots and. You know, obviously a lot of respect for both of those teams, but it's like the Warriors are still in 10th. I, I don't view them as the 10th best team. The Clippers are in fifth. Uh, they're always going to be a, an incomplete grade. I mean, the Suns were were out of the play-in a few days ago. Now they're up at seven. Like the overall point is I, I have absolutely no idea who the elite teams are, if any, in the Western Conference. And look, I, I don't think the Lakers are in that category, but I do think based on how they've built this roster, which is awful, they kind of built this at the right time because... I, I don't think they have any chance to win the conference, but I, I think if LeBron and AD magically stay healthy the rest of the way and into the playoffs, like this is, this is a team that could talk itself into at least winning a playoff series or two, just because the relative strength of the West is so down. Right. And they could walk into a favorable matchup, right? I think this year more than ever, it's going to just be like a, a lot of who advances is, is going to be based on matchup. Yeah. You know, like we all love the Kings, but if it's Kings Lakers, and everyone's healthy, you know, like that's Kings exactly what I was going to say. It's like, are you, are you really, are you like the Kings will be the better team that could, that could be the, you know, three, six matchup or whatever. Are you really going to pick against LeBron and Anthony Davis? Well, exactly. And like the, you look at the, the Kings team, it's like, if we're talking experience, these Kings guys have no experience in the playoffs. Fox doesn't have a single playoff game under his belt. Sabonis has played, I think a few, but didn't was not good in those. And so at some point it's just, who has the best player in the series or the best two players in the series who has more experience. 
Um, so I think it's, it's going to be really matchup based. Yeah. Anthony Davis aside, who was amazing before he got hurt and, you know, we'll see how long it takes him to, to get back to that level. If he can reach it, how do you think this affects the Lakers? You know, what we just talked about with the standings being so stacked up and the Lakers, despite being four games under 500 at the 50 game mark, still hanging around to a degree that they probably shouldn't. How does that affect their, their motivation now as the deadline approaches? Like, are you, are you more or less likely to give up a significant piece? I think I, if, I mean, if I'm them, I, I think you have to just try to maneuver. Like, I think the Rui Hachimura trade, like I, I am not a Hachimura guy. I just, I'm really underwhelmed by him. I don't think he scares defenses even a little bit. Um, I, I just, but he's got good size and he just adds like, he's just, he's a good sized rotation player for them, which is just what they need. Right. Especially if you're going to have Anthony Davis play center. So I think, I think they should should be in buyer mode because, you know, uh, how many times have we said this? LeBron's getting older. AD is an injury risk. Every time he gets hurt, it sort of in theory shortens his career a little bit. I think you just got to go for it when you have this team and you're in a position because Westbrook, um, Westbrook's an expiring contract. So next year, you're going to have a little more financial flexibility to make something happen. I think I think they should just go for it and and trade those picks and and not worry about it. I agree. I, I think your your assessment that the West being as it is, I think, kind of furthers LeBron's case that hey, like we we have an opportunity here that maybe we shouldn't uh, or that we didn't think we would have, and if we add one more guy, like there's a case to be made that we could compete with anybody in the Western conference. Like, I, I think that is real. The question is, who are you getting? You know, I, I don't think you right. give up those picks. Uh, like, you know, right now they're talking about like that they'd be willing to potentially part with a lottery protected first for Bojan Bogdanovic. Like to me, I don't know if that moves the needle. It's like, if you're getting Bogdanovich and you're getting somebody else, then sure. Maybe. Or, you know, if, if you're, if you're getting, I'm just throwing a name out like a Brad Beal type of player, like it's not even possible, but you know what I mean? Like if you can get a true difference maker then I, I really do think it's worth it because the number one concern is always going to be, can Anthony Davis stay healthy? And we're never going to get an answer. It's, it's going to be a coin flip. It literally is. Like we have no idea if, he, if he's going to be healthy when the playoffs start, uh, let alone can he make it through the entire playoffs. But that's what you signed up for when you acquired Anthony Davis. Like that's just part of the deal. The other side of this is I think LeBron is playing even better than we expected that he would. Like nobody thought LeBron was going to completely fall off this year, but it could happen any year and it has not happened. I mean, he's having a, a vintage year. He just hit nine threes last night. Like LeBron is ready and able to still, you know, partially carry a team to a title. So I think if you put the right pieces around him, you could talk yourself into that argument. I, I think the problem is there's just not, there's not an obvious target for them who really, really makes a difference. I think we're looking at a lot of like higher to mid-level role players who are available at the deadline, but I, I don't think, you know, bringing in like John Collins puts the Lakers over the top. Oh no. And then they become a little forward heavy. It's the same with Bojan. Right. It's like, well, if you're going to play Anthony Davis at center and LeBron at the at the four slash three, it's like, you can only have so many guys that also play that position. It's like, okay, now we have Hachimura and John Collins. It's like, how yeah. many forwards well, and can we Toscano actually? Anderson and Wenyan Gabriel, right? <laughs> so, I yeah. mean, I think more than anything, they just need a sort of reliable two-way guard. And there's just not a lot of options out there, but, you know, Terry Rozier comes to mind as somebody, Yeah. you know, it's like if the Hornets, I don't know what the Hornets' plans are, but I don't think they would like mind taking on Westbrook for a year with a sweetener to dump Terry Rozier yeah. to the Lakers. Like that's the kind of guy I think you have to be chasing. 
Jordan Brand athlete, Russell Westbrook. You have to keep that in mind. Right. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, Rozier, Rozier probably on the higher end. You know, it's like I'd, I'd take him over Bogdanovich, but I, I still think he is a level below somebody who makes a, a true difference. Uh, you could say the same thing about like Mike Conley. His name has been batted around. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But again, this Lakers team is not a Mike Conley away from winning the title. It's like that that needs to be one of your supplementary additions. It can't be the, the primary piece can't be Mike Conley. So yeah, we'll see. I, I I don't know how they handle it. I mean, this whole thing is so bizarre because since when have the Lakers ever cared about the future? Like why now of all times when you're you're more pot committed to this team than you've ever been in franchise history, why is now the time that you choose to start protecting your future assets? It's weird, right? Because they, they're just a team that historically, it's like, well, we're LA. We'll just sign people. Like, we'll just sign good players and make a good team. Right. You know, like, they, they actually, the thing is, when they were bad, they drafted relatively well, right? Like, they actually <laughs> used, they, Randall, Ingram, yeah. Lonzo, Kuzma. Kuzma, uh, like, Josh I mean, Larry Nance, like think if you, if you just put like yes. two of those guys back on this team, how, how much better you'd feel about it. Like even if Josh Hart himself was just on this roster. So maybe they're, they're sort of like obsessed with that idea of like, well, if this blows up and we got our picks, we can, we can fire it back up. Cause clearly we know what we're doing, but I think you just gotta, like you said, commit to this team and realize that we're the Lakers. If we want to build a competitive team, just through free agency in the next, however many years, we'll just clear our cap space and just gun for like two major free agents at some point in the future. Right. And at that point, you're, you're assuming that LeBron is probably out of the league if we're talking 2029, although I, I don't know if you would wager on that, but he's probably gone. It's not like you're worried about having, you know, these salaries on the books for your, your current team. I, it just, it doesn't add up. I don't know. The, the whole thing is just strange. It, it almost feels like they built a bad roster intentionally. I, I just don't know how you could possibly have Anthony Davis and have LeBron on the roster, and, and this is the team that you put around them? I, I, I don't know. Complete incompetency. But anyway, the point is, Anthony Davis is coming back tonight. Uh, that's where this discussion started, but completely off the rails. Um, other injury news, Chris Middleton, back in action, came back, uh, I think it was Monday night. Bucks blew out the Detroit Pistons. Uh, that was one of my my best bets that night, Alex, was that that game would go under. I think the total was like 230, and it went over by 50 points. One of my worst bets of all time. Uh, but the Bucks look great. <laughs> On offense, uh, the, the Pistons just play no defense whatsoever. I thought Middleton would be a little rusty. You know, Giannis was coming back off of a multi-game absence as well. Both of those guys look fine. Uh, but now Milwaukee loses Bobby Portis for at least a couple weeks. That's pretty big. I he, He's a he's a six-man-of-the-year candidate, more like a dark horse, but he's just been so reliable for Milwaukee over the years. Um, great energy guy for the Bucs. Obviously can space out, grab some rebounds. And it's like you just have to think about who are we replacing him with? And there's no, there's no like one for one replacing Bobby Portis on this roster. It'll, I assume it'll just be a little bit more like maybe they'll just consistently give Joe Ingles, you know, like 26, 27 minutes a game. You try a little bow champ a little bit more. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still just not really a, a Nawara guy. No. Um, you know, maybe they try a little Wes Matthews, but I think you can run small. You know, ironically, they're they already agreed to just give Serge Ibaka away, so he's not going to come back and play uh, for the Bucks and sort of fill that role. But I, I think this is a, it's a big absence for them for two weeks. But hopefully, Middleton can come in and start shooting better because he just did not look comfortable out there when he was healthy. No, no, he didn't. And you know, I, I thought again he looked okay on Monday. You know, hit hit a couple like pull up threes, pull up jumpers that looked you know, vintage Middleton, but we need to see it for, for multiple weeks at a time. You're right on Portis. Uh, this is where Serge Ibaka basically quitting the team 
is really hurting Milwaukee. Like they have, they have no center depth right now. Like I, you know, one of my bets for today that I, I put out on DraftKings was Brooke Lopez over 13 and a half points, because I think no matter how you think this game goes against Denver, he's going to have to play a bunch of minutes. Like, unless he's in foul trouble, like who else is playing? Like, do they have to dip down into Mamu Kalashvili? Like he's the only other, like, you know, true quote unquote center on the roster other than Giannis. So that they're in a bad spot now. And, you know, as long as this injury is nothing super long-term with Portis, I, I think they'll be fine. Like if he can come back after the all-star break and, and stay healthy, they'll, they'll be okay. But I, I do think this maybe, you know, gives them a little more motivation to, to potentially add somebody to that front court. It doesn't have to be anybody major, but just some sort of depth at the deadline. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, they haven't played that well this year, but I think they probably assume they can make a push if they if they grab someone at the deadline. And Joe Ingles already was supposed to be that guy, and I actually think he's played really well for Milwaukee. He gives them some some extra playmaking that they didn't necessarily have off the bench with, like, you know, Congleton doesn't playmake. George Hill basically out of the rotation. Car- Javon Carter's not a great playmaker. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a little push at the deadline. Ingles has looked really good. I was skeptical. Yeah. I didn't love using the full mid-level on him. I, I thought that could have been better spent elsewhere. I thought maybe they could have gotten him on kind of the, you know, end of career veteran chasing the title deal, especially coming off a torn ACL. But yeah, he's been fantastic. He's been a really good fit. Uh, I, I think that's, that's looking like a hit for Milwaukee. Uh, big news out of New Orleans. Finally, Alex, Brandon Ingram, after what felt like being day-to-day for like 30 straight games, mm-hmm. he's expected to be back tonight, missed 29 games with, as far as we're aware, just a bruised toe, right? That's all they've said. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if he, he just stubbed it or what. Yeah. I mean, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans definitely, uh, they, they have a little bit of a reputation for being, uh, not especially forthcoming with their injury news. Uh, you know, Zion Williamson last year, for example, but this is big for them, right? Because the Pelicans, like they had been surviving without Zion and Ingram for a while, but they, they just recently started sliding pretty badly. Uh, they've lost five straight. And, um, so I think this is, they, those guys who have been filling in, I think are just gassed. You know, you get a little jolt of energy when you're filling in for, um, for those stars sometimes. And the, the team sort of rallies, but at some point it starts to drag. So I think the Ingram coming back, I assume you'll be, you know, ramped up the whole thing, but this is huge for them. Uh, but unfortunately Zion is now out for what another two weeks. They said at least. Yeah, well, you mentioned last year the Pels not being overly forthcoming with Zion. Uh, we, we, the initial three-week timetable back at the beginning of January, uh, three weeks have passed, and then the update, as you alluded to yesterday, was uh, he's out at least two more weeks, and that's when he's going to be reevaluated. So at this point, it's looking extremely likely that he won't play before uh, the All-Star break, at least in my mind. you know, I guess he, he could be reevaluated, and they would, he would have like one or two games to potentially play before the break to me, that just depends on like how badly does he want to play in the all-star game? Because there's not a ton of precedent for guys like missing, you know, six straight weeks and then just coming back and playing in the all-star game. I feel like Zach Levine did something like that last year, the year before didn't go over super well. Um, So maybe there's some motivation there. If you're Zion uh, might end up starting the all-star game, depending on how the voting breaks down. But either way, I I would say pretty good chance. We don't see him until late February, which is okay. You know, like, like you mentioned, the Pelicans are treading water. They're, they're fourth, in the Western conference, but you know, if Ingram is rusty at all, like they, they are liable. Like you're, you're one bad week away from falling from fourth to 11th pretty quickly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I believe in them long-term like for the rest, I believe in them as a team that can make the Western conference finals, but at some point, like you just, 
these guys got to stay healthy. And um, I, I just, you know, like it's hard to judge this team without both of Zion and Ingram. So I'm excited to see when they, when they finally both eventually get back on the court, even though that's probably gonna be post all-star break. We got the, the classic update, non-update on Kevin Durant yesterday as well. Uh, he's on track in his recovery plan and yet will not be reevaluated for another two weeks. So he is essentially on the exact same timeline as Zion and faces a lot of the same questions. You know, does he care about playing in the all-star game? I don't know. Uh, you, you would think maybe, um, you know, the Nets have a very similar schedule, uh, of course. I mean, if he, if we're looking at two weeks from now, that would be uh, February 8th. And Durant at that point, you know, if he's cleared, would have four potential games to play before the break. So it, it's possible. Uh, I, I would still would say probably not likely if you're the Nets and you're thinking long-term. Um, but, you know, overall, it looks like this will probably be closer to, what, a, a six or seven-week injury for Durant? Probably, yeah. Yeah, and if you're the Nets, it's all just about keeping Durant healthy because you stand no chance in the playoffs without Durant, none whatsoever. So anything you can do to keep him healthy as long as you need to keep him out, that's what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of been a disaster since he went out, as you'd expect. Um, you know, basically, if Kyrie's not giving them like 35 to 40, they have very little chance to beat any team right now, even the bottom feeders. Um, but you know, that's kind of what you'd expect with a guy like KD going out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Um, all right, real quickly, I want to talk about the the, the the kind of brooding narrative that, that's been there for a while on the NBA, you know, regular season being devalued. If you're watching SportsCenter, you're watching NBA TV last night, or even if you're on Twitter, you know, you saw like the, the kid who flew from Argentina to watch Jimmy Butler, uh, and he ends up sitting out and, you know, the team made it up to him, whatever. It's, it's all good. But I, I feel like these these situations are becoming more and more common. And this is, this is not a new narrative by any means. This, is, this has been something that's around for a while. But I, I thought it was interesting on, on the, the Bill Simmons pod today. I was listening and they were talking about this. And, you know, he mentioned the possibility of tethering like all-star eligibility, all-NBA eligibility, MVP award eligibility to a baseline number of games played. 
do you think that would that would incentivize players to play more? Because I, I think it would. It could, but to some extent, it's just up to the voters, right? Like we can, like if if we all sort of decide, not collectively, but I think there's just a point where, I don't know, like how many people are going to vote LeBron to the All NBA team if he only plays 45 games or something like that? Yeah, part of me thinks it's baked in with the voters already. But it is, I think, it, well, it's more important than it used to be because so many of these, these players like max contracts or super max contracts are yes. baked into these awards. And so that's where it becomes an issue. Um, you know, so I, I don't know, that could end up being like a collective bargaining issue. But oh, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the other thing too, is do you tie this into contracts? And I think that's really where you would start to see I think some change in motivation on the player side is like, Hey, you're not eligible for a super max unless you've averaged X number of games across the last few years. And like you said, I mean, that would be a complete nightmare from a players association perspective. <laughs> there would be monster monster pushback because look, it's not like players are, are only missing games because they're sitting out the second half of a back-to-back or, you know, their, their ankle hurts a little bit and they, they probably could play. Like there, there are a, a million reasons why guys are missing games. And as we've seen over and over and over, even some of the most injury prone players in the league, whether it be Kawhi, Durant, Zion, like these guys are still getting max contracts. Like it's, it's still worth it for the team to pay them. So tying it into contracts, I, I think that the idea of it is interesting. I just don't think it would ever be feasible or ever be ratified uh, by the players association. So I, I think you could throw that out, but you know, putting a firm games played eligibility on something like the all-star game or, or all NBA, I, I think that would at least curb some of the unprovoked Missed games, you know, essentially just the rest games. Um, ideally, you would just trim down the season a little bit or, you know, make the schedule a little more segmented, even if that means extending it out a little bit, like get rid of back-to-backs altogether, never play five games in seven nights, things like that. Um, that's probably a little bit more feasible to me. I think so. I mean, I'm, I've am i always been in favor of a shorter schedule. If you, you know, I, I even think like you just play each team twice during the regular season and that's that. Or just once, excuse me. You play yeah. you play them once at home and once on the road, and that's it. Um, I think that would that would be a good amount to where the games feel like they have they have meaning. You would play zero back to backs whatsoever. Uh, you could always start the season a little bit later or extend it out. You know, because most fans, I mean, most casual fans are not what they don't really pay attention or dive into the NBA until after the Super Bowl anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that would that would help as well. And you know, I know they just want the TV money. And if anything, it sounds like they're going to just add more games mm-hmm. uh, with the playing tournament. But yeah, I think I think the only the only issue I see, like I think it's a good idea maybe to have minimums in theory. My only issue is if let's let's say that we make the minimum sixty, and some guy plays like fifty nine, it's like we're like really like we're gonna like LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Giannis played fifty nine games instead of sixty, so mm-hmm. we just can't we just can't put them in there. Um, yeah, and we have to put like marketing in instead. So I think that's <laughs> like that's where get, that's where like a sort of yeah. I don't know if slippery slope is the right term, but that just makes it tough. No, slippery slope I think is is the perfect term, and I, I think yeah, if you're if you're right on the borderline, do you check into a game for five seconds and yeah, exactly you know, get a rebound and then check out? I yeah, I don't know. You're, you're right. I, it, it's not a perfect system. There's if there was a perfect solution, then the NBA probably would have done it by now. But I mean, am I exaggerating this? Like, does it does it not feel to you that if this is becoming like an increasing crisis, at least among big time NBA fans, like I, I don't think the casual sports fan really cares about this all that much. But to me, like the, the biggest marker is like five years ago, 
all everybody was talking about was how much momentum the league had. And, you know, basketball is going to overtake football as the biggest sport in America. Like it just feels like all that is gone. And, and I think the pandemic is a part of it, but all of that positivity has now been replaced by a lot of negativity from the people who care most about watching the league. Yeah. I, I don't think casual fans mind that much because I think the the casual fan just like flips on the ESPN or the TNT game and then they're like, oh, Giannis is out. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch uh, Bones now or whatever. Like they just like ch- they just change the channel. They don't they don't even think twice about it. That that's Bones the show, not Bones Highland, right? Yes, exactly. Um, although if Jamal Murray's out, they should be watching Bones. Um, yeah, I I you have, I I've thought about this myself because I went to a game earlier in the season. Uh, with my dad, we went and saw the Bucks game in Milwaukee against the Mavericks, and I realized after I bought the tickets, I'm like, "Yeah, the Ma- this is the second half of the back-to-back for the Mavericks, uh, and Doncic is already rested on the second half of a back-to-back before, and now I'm like sweating it a little bit." But um, I just I just bit the bullet. I was like, "Well, I figure you know it's he'll probably just rest against like the bad teams. He'll he'll play against Milwaukee." But you, you legitimately have to think about that when you buy NBA tickets now. Like, if you're a, a fan who just wants to go see a game, you have to think, like, is this the second night of a back-to-back? Is this three games and five nights? Is this, um, right. you know, did this did this guy play 40 minutes in, in back-to-back games? How old is he? It's like, you, may, it's like you, you really don't even want to buy these tickets until, like, the 4.30 injury report comes out. Right. Because then you know probably these guys are going to play. Right. And we do this for a living. We, and and like, for us, it's hard to figure out, you know, it's like, I I think the, the issue that a lot of people bring up is like, you know, the, the 12 year old kid who goes to one game a year and his mom got him the tickets for Christmas. It's like, mom, how did you not know Jamal Murray would be sitting out tonight? Like, you know, he doesn't play back to backs. Yeah, exactly. You're you're just, you're asking people to do something that's just not feasible for the average fan. No, it's, uh, it's really not. Yeah. We, we, you and I, I think, and people who play fantasy sort of take this stuff for granted because we're primed to think about this stuff all the time. DFS, gambling, fantasy. We're like, oh, you know, back-to-backs and guys who had knee soreness and 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 stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the the average person is is not thinking about stuff like that at all. They're just like, I want to do something nice for my kids, or hey, it's been a while since I saw a Bulls game. Like, hey, let's go, let's go, let's go to a Bulls game. We're gonna buy tickets for a next month's game. Because people have busy right. lives too, right? Like you can't people can't always just be like, Oh, I think I'll, Hey, I'm bored. Uh, I'm going to go to the bulls game tonight. That's like not how people operate. They're like, no, I'm going to get my buggies together and we're going to pick a game a month from now when we're all free and we're going to go. And then all of a sudden you just don't know. Um, and then you feel like you got screwed out of however much, uh, you know, however much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, to put a bow on that point, I don't think the solution is like educate fans on when they should know players are resting. <laughs> right. That is, to me, that is not the solution at no, all. It's not. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of like some of the messaging that's been out there of like, all right, well, Hey, you got to look back to back, you know, long road trip. Like again, the average fan is not thinking about that when you're, you know, I, when you're buying tickets months in advance, you just, you just can't know. You have no idea what the context is going to be. Like you're not looking at the rotation and saying like, well, you know, you might, you might be overworked here. That's well, that's their fourth game in eight nights. Like, no, it's just not, it's just not how it works. So I don't know. I, I wish I could offer a, a better solution. I mean, I will say that the number one thing that seems like the wrong move right now would be to insert a midseason tournament. Yeah, I. And unless you are drastically scaling back the amount of normal regular yes. season games, like if you want to, if you want to pull back to fifty-two or fifty-six or however many regular season games, and then do your midseason tournament, and then 
along with the play-in tournament, we get to somewhere like 72 total at most because some teams are going to get eliminated really early from the midseason and some teams are going to get eliminated or just not play in the play-in tournament. Those teams might play 64 games. And if you happen to go all the way in the midseason but somehow still need to go through the play-in, you might play 72 or whatever. Um, that would be okay. But no, I don't think they should just straight up add more games, which is what it... That's sort of the implication because we keep hearing about the playing tournament, but never attached to that is, oh yes, we're also reducing the regular season by 15 games. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we'll table that for now. Well, I'm sure we'll revisit it at some point, maybe over the all-star break, but uh, let's go back to the, the 2020 draft. And I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm also not looking forward to explaining some of my picks, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of turn this over to you. You can offer a little bit more context as far as, what we were doing at the time, what the goal of the exercise was, and then we'll, we'll kind of uh, you know, guide our way through reviewing that draft. Yeah, so this was April of 2020 for context. So this was um, before the bubble started back up, or before the bubble occurred, which I think was in August? That was July or August, yeah. Of 2020. And so, like you mentioned before, we were scrambling for content, so I don't know who thought of the idea. But like, hey, let's just draft a team for the next five years. Um, not fantasy, real life. So if you were just real life drafting a team, um, what, what would you do? And so this isn't fantasy. So a lot, I think, I, I think I thought about this a lot. And I think based on your team build, you were doing it as well. I was trying to build a team that made sense, especially the starting five. Like I wasn't going to draft a ton of guys. Like I wasn't going to draft five guards. I wasn't going to draft three centers right off the bat. So I tried to construct a team that at least theoretically made sense for my starters. Um, and then of course you just have to weigh uh, trying to win now versus trying to win in that fourth or fifth year. Um, and so, yeah, we drafted, we drafted a starting five and I think we drafted, what was this? Uh, seven bench spots. Yep. Um, you conceded the number one pick to me and then we forgot to go in snake draft. So I just, we just alternated, but then I gave you the first pick of the, uh, of the reserves. Okay. Um, that, that's fair. That's exactly what you said at the time. So I went back and I listened to this podcast and I also pulled a, a few interesting quotes that we said from it, uh, stuff that's funny in hindsight. Um, it also puts the league in context because the league right now, I mean, three years ago, the way the NBA is sort of accelerating in terms of offense, in terms of play styles, it feels like a completely different era three years ago. I mean, this was John Morant's rookie season, Zion's rookie season, stuff like that. Um, so we can, we can jump right into it. I got the number one pick and I chose Giannis. Um, to me, I think my, my logic was, I just wanted, it was between Giannis and Doncic for me. Mm -hmm. And I basically conceded that at that point, I already thought this is Doncic's second year in the league, I believe. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, this is Doncic's second year in the league. And I already acknowledged that he was a better offensive player than Giannis. I'm like, he's just better on offense than Giannis will ever be. But I wanted a two-way player. And at that point, Giannis is like, you know, riding high, obviously. Um, so I went there. Um, and then you you followed up with Doncic. Yeah, let's uh, let, let's just give, you know, kind of our first like five picks and we'll go from there. So sure. we, we, we just went every other. Um, so you started with Giannis, I went Doncic. And then who, who were your next four? Uh, my next four were Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron slash Bronny James. That was negotiated. Yep. That I also got, got Bronny, Bronny if, I if LeBron that. retired. Uh, and then James Harden. 
rounded okay. out my five. So Giannis, Jokic, Kawhi, LeBron, Harden. What was your not, not a lot five? of misses there? Uh, obviously, you know, I, I think Kawhi in hindsight, um, that was kind of just the start of the knee issues, right? Because Toronto had won yes. the title in 2019, and so we we knew that the that the knee and the the thigh or whatever the quad, um, we, like we knew about it, but I, I don't think that this was kind of before like everything started up of him just like missing every other game for the Clippers. So at, at the time that made a lot more sense still does. Um, but you know, I think now we'd be a little more cautious with Kawhi. Yes. This was, this was for context. This was Kawhi's first year in LA and yeah. uh, I'm quoted in the podcast saying that I'm quote a little concerned about Kawhi's knee. And I also <laughs> said that, and I, and I also said, quote, Kawhi is better than Jokic. But I wanted a floor spacing center, <laughs> which is why I took Jokic number two in my draft over Kawhi. But at that time, again, yeah. you have to put this floor in spacer. context. Kawhi is coming off the, um, well, I wanted a floor spacing center next to Giannis. That was my right. argument. I was like, I said, I don't, you know, I don't want to like sc- uh, scramble later and try to get Miles Turner. Um, but at this time, again, Kawhi is coming off the finals and Jokic, this is his second all-star season. And he averaged um, 20, 10, and 7. So he was not a 25-point-per-game scorer. Right. He was only shooting 52% from the field, 31% from three. Obviously, we all knew he was great, but it wasn't the next year's when he exploded and started averaging 26, 11, and 8 on crazy efficient shooting. Yeah, so I, I think your, your starting five makes sense. And with Harden, um, you know, I mean, this was his last year in Houston, I believe. Yep. Um, I think that was the year that him and Westbrook were together in Houston and yeah. uh, ended up losing to the Lakers in the, in the bubble. Uh, but he had averaged 34 that year. He had averaged 36 the year before and, and I believe won MVP. So yeah, I mean, if, if anything, getting Harden with what the ninth overall pick, I, I think is, is a pretty good value there. Um, is it implied then that these five were our starters? Yes. Okay. So you're, you're starting Giannis, Jokic, Kawhi, LeBron, Harden. Not bad. Uh, my five were Doncic, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard. So I, I like my team, but I, I think you have the the stronger starting five by a pretty good margin in retrospect. Yeah, this is sort of what we talked about at the end of the podcast, where it was like my team at this time would have had like a way stronger chance of winning the first two years if our teams played like seven game series in the first two years. But yeah. then years three through five is where it starts to probably lean more towards your team. Um, I, I drafted a little bit more for the moment. Um, didn't think as far, mm-hmm. uh, into that, in that final five years. Right. And yeah, we, we should note that, you know, I guess we did note it, but you know, we're, we're thinking five years from now. So obviously like nobody that we've named has really fallen off. It's like, I, I guess of these guys, like cat is probably the guy whose stock has fallen the most in this span, ironically. Right. And he's like, the, like one of the youngest guys on the list. But, uh, you know, I think, I think at the time we probably expected that LeBron would take a bigger step back by now um you know and and i i don't don't even think we expected that Jokic would be at the point that he is right now either so that pick looks really good in retrospect um you know i I think the two big guys who who stand out that we haven't named are curry and joel Embiid. yeah Embiid. i i grabbed Embiid later um i grabbed Embiid with my first bench spot Mm -hmm. and you know 2019 20 we were still pretty concerned about his injuries um, yeah. he played 30 minutes a game that season. I was like, 
my logic was, hey, I can have him be Jokic's backup and play him 20, 23 minutes a game, and it'll be fine. He won't, you know, we mitigate the injury risk. But, you know, he averaged um, 23, 12, and, and a 1.3 blocks that year. He's good, but it's not like he is now. And then Curry, um, Curry went way too late in this draft. You got Curry with your third bench spot. Um, so we both continued to pass on Curry, uh, but he had played five games that year, right? So yes, that was the broken hand year. And he was also bad in those games. Like he, I mean, it was very small sample, but the shooting was terrible. The Warriors were a complete joke. They didn't even make, I don't even think they played in the bubble, right? Cause they didn't, they didn't no. make it. Um, so yeah, his stock was way down. They had just lost in the finals the year before. I, I think it was somewhat fair to question if he was going to take a step back, but even without having the context of, of, you know, what, what we said on the pod, like this, this seems way too late. I mean, he went with what the 15th pick. That's crazy. Yeah. It's weird. Cause I, I agree. He went way too late and I don't really think we can be forgiven for this. <laughs> like we didn't even acknowledge it on the pod. Like, I don't think either of us said like, Oh wow. Like we, none of us, neither of us took Curry. Like this feels a little late, doesn't it? No. Um, it just felt like really normal, which kind of tells you how, how violently some of these guys, uh, the narrative around them fluctuates and the perception yeah. of them and what their future holds and all that stuff. So that was surprising. Yeah. I think the other one too is KD and you, you took him with your second reserve pick. So he would have been the like 14th pick overall, but this was after he torn his Achilles in the Toronto finals. He didn't play at all in 1920. Uh, I, I believe he was technically on the nets at that point, completely different context. Um, you know, like we just, we didn't really know what the future held. I think it was at that time. I remember thinking like, man, Katie, he really gave it his all to, you know, for that final game with the warriors, but he may never be the same. Like, right. I, I think where KD is now versus where we thought he would be. Um, this has been basically the best case scenario. It is, although he's, he, he continues to get hurt uh, yeah. after this Achilles thing. But yeah, I mean, my logic in there was, yeah, I'll, I'll miss him. Like I'm, I'm worried about the Achilles, but I said, even if Durant's 85% of his former self, he's still going to be like one of the greatest shooters in the NBA. Um, like I just wasn't, I, I was like, that's still going to be an amazing player. If he's 80% of who he used to be, I just wasn't that. I wasn't mm -hmm. so concerned, especially because I got him so late. Um, and then you took Curry after him and I, um, I second the pod that I was going to take Curry, but uh, you took him. So I took Paul George after you took Curry. Um, well, do I, you want to just run through the reserve rosters? For yeah, I do want, I do want to say first, um, you know, you mentioned you took cat in your starting lineup. I said at one point after you took cat that I said, quote, part of me thinks cat's natural position is four. I thought he's a power. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's a power forward. And then lo and behold, three years later, he's playing power forward. Which I don't think anybody really expected. It was just a weird. Did like, you speak the Rudy Gobert trade into existence? I may have. Yeah, it was a little, a little bit of a premonition there. So our benches. Um, my bench goes Embiid. This is an order. Embiid, KD, Paul George, Trey Young, Ben Simmons, Devin Booker, Chris Stapps, Porzingis. Can't really explain okay. that one to be honest with you. And then uh, what's your bench? My bench was Zion, Bam Adebayo, Curry, Siakam. Kyrie, Brandon Ingram, Brad Beal. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I did call Ben Simmons underrated um, at uh, in okay. the podcast at one point. Sure. Although, and I also did put Embiid and Ben Simmons on the same team again, ironically. But you have to remember in 2019, 2019, 20 was 
Ben Simmons peak as a player. Yeah. He was averaging 16, eight and eight led the league with 2.1 steals. Um, he was a, he was a three time or he's a two time all-star at that point, made the all NBA team and made the all defensive team. So I was like, well, what, like, what's the worst case scenario for this guy? Like, he's just a perennial all defensive player. One of the best passers, one of the best transition players in the NBA. Um, obviously just like impossible to predict what happened. And you, you mentioned too, you were like, well, I'm just concerned. He has no skill development. And then I said, like, what's he going to get worse? Yeah. <laughs> what a laughable <laughs> thought that could never happen. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, that's funny. You know, at the time for sure. I mean, you don't even have to defend that. Like Ben Simmons was a big time commodity in 2020, like no doubt about it. It did totally justifiable. I'm sure I would have taken him if you didn't, um, you know, Porzingis, that one is questionable. I think that's probably the, the only real one that looking back doesn't make that much sense because he did miss all of the 18, 19 season with the ACL came back in, in 1920 and actually looked okay. I mean, he averaged like 20 and nine with two blocks, but was still in and out of the lineup only played 57 games. Field goal percentage was way down. Three point shooting was way down, but um, I don't know. Do, do you remember like what your rationale was where you were just a, a big Porzingis guy at the time? I just, yeah, I liked Porzingis. I mean, he, he was 24 years old that year at the time. So like, you're still thinking like this guy has room to grow. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. The ACL injury, but you know, like you mentioned, he, he comes out that next year, his first year with Dallas averages 20 and 10 with two blocks on relatively efficient shooting. And I figured he'd keep developing and, you know, like, uh, it just didn't seem like I wasn't that worried about the injury issues yeah. continuing. Um, but neither of us, I think the biggest sort of snub here is that basically I took Porzingis and you took Beal over John Morant. Yeah, that was uh that, that was a big miss. And you know, this was, this was jaws rookie year. And yeah. so basically he played like half a season and then the shutdown happened. And I, I, I mean, he was good during that half season. I also think he has ascended to a completely different level now uh, versus where I thought he would be. Uh, so at the time that we did this pod, Ja had played 59 career games. He averaged 17.6 points, seven assists, three and a half rebounds, 50% from the field, 36% from three on, on just over two attempts per game, 77% at the line. So pretty good. Uh, I can't really explain why we would have left him off other than I, I mean, like Brad Beal's stock, like Brad Beal's averaging 30 a game at this point. So like, you know, I, that was justifiable. Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram had, had kind of started to ascend for New Orleans. Uh, obviously, Kyrie, this was well before, um, you know, some of the more concerning personal matters had, had started to crop up with him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it just was one of those things where we, we probably hadn't seen quite enough of Morant. And if we had done this even six months later, we, we would have included him. Yeah, it's hard to it's it's hard to put his sort of rookie year in context because that year feels so jumbled for obvious reasons. And he just he won rookie of the year, but he didn't it didn't really feel like I was watching a future Hall of Famer, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. and there were still holes in his game, and those holes to an extent still exist. You know, I was like, well, he doesn't really shoot threes that well. Like, yeah, he's a great passer, and you know, he's obviously an amazing um, acrobatic finisher and gets in the lane, everything, but not a good free throw shooter, not a good three point mm-hmm. shooter. And he doesn't play defense. I was like, you know, if I yes. just have to, if I'm trying to feel confident and win over the next five years, it, it just felt, it felt safer to take Ben Simmons 
it felt safer to take Devin Booker, and to an extent, it felt safer to take Chris Dabbs Porzingis. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, he, he's had a, a monster ascent. Uh, no question about that. I, I Like I said, I think if we did it a year later, we would have felt differently. But, you know, we were also looking at him from a fantasy perspective, and he was one of those guys who was a better real life player than a fantasy player. We were, you know, we were questioning like his second season, he shot 30% from three. Uh, he's only mm-hmm. at 32% this year, by the way. Um, but he, yeah, he, he didn't really ascend to like, whoa, this guy is going to be, you know, one of the household names until his third year. Uh, so at, at the time justifiable, I, I think he probably would have been, you know, one of our, our next two or three guys out. Uh, we, we have a long list of potential players that we included. Um, I'll, I'll try to run through this list as, as quickly as I can. Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, Oladipo, Morant, Sabonis, Gobert, John Collins. Wow. Mitchell Robinson, Andre Drummond, Chris Middleton, Clint Capella, Zach Levine, Jared Jackson, Clay Thompson, D'Angelo Russell, Lonzo, Jalen Brown, SGA, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, De'Aaron Fox. So I have a couple uh, quotes about these guys that I grabbed from myself. Um, on the Morant front, I said, quote, Fox and Morant are comparable as players, but Fox's defensive upside is higher. I actually think that that puts true. I actually think that puts decent context into what what we sort of talk of Morant. It's like, Hey, both of these guys are very quick, very athletic. They're good passers. They don't shoot very well, but we know Fox can play defense. Um, and I also said, quote, Oladipo would be a sneaky pick in this draft. Uh, maybe a little (laughs) too sneaky. He definitely Uh, would have been sneaky. And then on the um, on the Collins front, I mean, this is after this is Collins' best year. This is when Collins looked like I think he ranked seventh in nine cap per game value this year. Um, was averaging twenty two and ten with a one point six blocks uh, and shot fifty eight forty eighty, and was playing a lot of center for them. This is before they got Capella, so that sort of explains that. And then the Drummond thing. So Drummond was. 2019-20, this is the year he was shipped off from Detroit to Cleveland. Yep. But he was still averaging. He was averaging 18 and 15 with three assists, 1.9 steals, and 1.6 blocks. And you have to remember, he was 26 years old. Like, it did not feel like his career was over. No, not at all. That one is, that's the name that sticks out as kind of laughable. But, I mean, the, the counting stats were ridiculous. Like, he had led the league in rebounding for the last five years. Uh, he was having another monster year in Detroit. It it did feel like this was finally the year, though, that we collectively decided, like, wait a second, he might not actually be contributing to winning. Um, so right. the the fact that we still brought him up is interesting. But yeah, it's it's the it's the size. It's the you know his passing had kind of materialized a little bit. He was averaging three assists a game, um, and and he's one of those guys too who is a, a much bigger deal in fantasy depending on what format you're playing. Yes. So you know maybe we had him more top of mind than non fantasy people would have. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's probably the one that sticks out the most. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean like Lonzo ball obviously wouldn't be on that list now, but um, you know, really, really good player when healthy does feel like that's going to just go down as kind of one of those, those what if situations uh, I, I think SGA would obviously be in the mix. If we did this today, um, Donovan Mitchell has taken a big step forward. He, he's another guy that I, I'm surprised we didn't give more serious consideration to, because I look back and I was thinking like, Oh, is he only in the league? Like one year at this time? Like, this was his third season. I mean, he's what, 22 years old, putting up 25 a game. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm surprised that I, you know, I went with Brandon Ingram, especially over Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. So the S- SGA, this was, that was his first year in OKC. And so it was good, but nobody was like really thinking much about it. Yeah. Um, 
Ingram at the time, you know, 2019-20, this was his first year on the Pelicans and he made his first All-Star game. Um, just looked like he made, I mean, this is, he'd make a huge leap shooting wise, right? You're projecting this guy out. He's 22 years old, averaging 24, six and four. And now he's shooting 39% from three. You're like, oh, okay, this is, this is serious. And so I think Donovan Mitchell's numbers just looked a little pedestrian. And he did, mm-hmm. he basically made no improvement from his second to his third year. Um, and so I think that I think probably soured us a little bit because he came out, he came out so strong as a rookie. And then the improvements over the next two years were like solid, but just not, not really much. And so I think we were probably thinking, is this guy just kind of who he is? And to an extent, like, yes, (laughs) but he's just gotten way more efficient over the years. Um, but yeah, it would have been, it would have been, um, it would have obviously been better to have him on. And, you know, you think about um, Jalen Brown as well. Yep. You know, Jalen Brown, this was his uh, fourth year in the NBA. First year, he averaged 20 points. Um, but, you know, his he still had a negative assist to turnover ratio. Um, the, the free throw shooting was still kind of poor. It just wasn't, it didn't feel as clear. And then, um, you know, one of the hot names right now, Jaron Jackson, this was his second year in the NBA. And he showed some flashes, but the injuries uh, were, you know, were an issue too. Um, and I think we were concerned about the rebounding and stuff like that, but he's blown up as well. I'm looking at guys who made all NBA teams since we did this. Uh, Chris Paul was not really brought up at all. I, I think, you know, at the time, I think that's when he would have, what, just arrived in Phoenix? Or maybe he was still with OKC. Um, I, I think he had just, just gotten to Phoenix. OKC. We were, oh, he was. So that was his final OKC year. Yeah, we were... You know, we were just really concerned about him staying healthy. I think that was the first year that he went to like the plant-based diet, and you know, it turned out that that did wonders for him for the next couple of years. Uh, De- Demar Derozan, we did not mention at all. Julius Randle, who ended up making second team All NBA the following season, didn't mention him. Uh, other than that, though, I-, I think we pretty much covered all of our bases. And to be honest, I-, I don't really feel bad about not including Chris Paul and Demar Derozan. We we could not have seen that coming. No. No, and I think DeRozan, DeRozan was, this was his second year in San Antonio, and like, he was playing really well for people who were paying attention. You know, 22 points a game on 53%, great assist to turnover ratio, but they just, it just felt so lukewarm. And we figured, well, this is a five year draft. He's already 30 years old. Like, why would we, there's just so many other guys that are more exciting that you would just rather have. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel too bad about those uh, omissions compared to some other guys like, um, Morant and um, I'm a huge SGA guy, but I don't think I was at that point. I think to me, it took like his yeah. third year for me to be like, oh, okay. I, I think this guy might be a potential star. hundred percent. So looking at your roster now, it's like, I, I think you probably keep 80% of it, but you're drop, you probably drop what Ben Simmons and Porzingis. I mean, are, are you, do you drop Trey young? Do you have to, it's like, does, does he kind of still stay on as your final spot? I think Trey Young is still I think he's still good enough to have on. I mean, I I'm not convinced he's an all-star this year, but he's just so gifted as a passer and he's basically 30 and 10. I just it's hard for me to completely give up on him yet. Especially in this context where it's like I have this guy coming off my bench in theory. Um but yeah, I mean if we had to basically, you know, if we if we redid this every year where we were forced to drop one player and 
um, than we would add or forced to drop three players and add or however. Yeah, I mean, Simmons, Booker, and Porzingis would be my drops. Like I, I think I would drop Ben Simmons for sure. That that would be the guy I'd be oh, like, get what? off this team. Um, I think yeah. I would obviously try to grab. Um, you know what? Would you would you take Morant or SGA? If, if we're talking, are we are we saying for the like continuing for the next two years, or you get him for the next five years? Not that it really matters, uh, I guess, because they're similar in age. Let's just say, let's just yeah, let's say for the next five years. Uh, SGA. Uh, yeah, I think I'm leaning there too because of the defense. Like size, lack of recklessness. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like we, I, I think we think of Ja being a better shooter. That's not really the case. Um, I mean, I don't know. The, the thing with Morant is like, obviously the, the points and the assists are are there. And you can say the same thing about SGA. A, a lot of what makes Morant so awesome is almost like unquantifiable. Like he's just, he's just like a cool guy. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I just, I, I feel like SGA is the guy who could get, markedly even better over the next five years. Whereas I, I don't know about Morant. Like I, I guess the, the shooting could improve, but short of that, I, I think he kind of is what he is. And that's a, a really, really fun player. But ultimately, you know, I, I think you have to have a, a really good team around him, which they do already. And that's great. But like, would, I don't know, like would, would John Morant be able to lead this Thunder team to essentially a 500 record? I, I don't know. That's hard to say. I, I honestly just think it comes down to how much you value defense. You know, yeah. Um, but SGA's size, his defense, he's just he never looks rushed out there. He's just so calm and collected. The the variety of ways in which he can score are so diverse, and I think will really help in the playoff mm-hmm. series. Um, but you know, and to some extent, it's like Trey Young too. It's like if I'm trying to win a playoff series, I'm taking Drew Holiday over Trey Young. Yeah, like Trey Young puts up absurd offensive numbers. He's a better offensive player than holiday but at some point it's like we can't just build an offense we just can't build a purely offensive basketball team i really think sga versus morant who would you rather have is like one of the closest debates you could possibly have i i don't feel that strongly about it i think if you put that out there on twitter it could could come back exactly 50 50 it really could i mean i think that could that debate could get a little heated um because it is you know it's people who like we mentioned, they they value defense or they value, you know, maybe they really think like Morant, the sort of energy he brings is unquantifiable, like you mentioned. Right. Um, the athleticism for the explosive plays and what he's going to be able to do because of his athleticism is just going to be better. And um, yeah, it's a, that's a tough debate. It's, it's insane that we are having this debate. Like if we were said two years ago that we were having this debate or last year, we'd be like, what, what happened? Um, yeah. You know, and SGA is now putting up like MVP caliber numbers. Well, if nothing else, I think this has given us motivation to do this again at some point this season. Yeah. Maybe, maybe over the All Star break, uh, maybe in the summer, maybe later this season. But yeah, we I think we should absolutely uh, do another redraft. You know, looking ahead to the next five years, um, it's it's really interesting. I think with guys like Curry and LeBron and and KD and like even Kawhi now, Harden is in that, Lillard's in that because. I think since we've done this exercise, it's like LeBron has not slowed down. KD is, you know, he's still getting banged up, but I, I still think he would be on one of our rosters just because he's so good oh, when he's yeah. healthy. And we're, you know, we're seeing guys like Chris Paul continue to play well into their late thirties. Like Curry doesn't seem like he's slowing down. So I, I think maybe the, the most difficult part as opposed to like which young players do you include is 
how many of these guys that we feel like should be nearing the end of their prime are you comfortable saying could still be really good? Because they don't even have to be great for all five years. But if you get if you get peak Kevin Durant or peak Stephen Curry for three and a half of the five years, that's still probably worth it. Right. Like, would Curry go higher in our redraft this year than he did <laughs> three years ago? If you're saying it's starting now for the next five years, I, yeah. I would say he probably goes in like the same spot. Yeah, same spot. Same with KD. Like, I would take KD over Harden now. I drafted Harden two spots before KD. So, yeah, there's a lot of that as well. We've just seen guys be able to play much longer than they have in the past. And, um, you know, I think I think one thing we did, obviously, we, we listed a ton of players that were left off. But I think just having this be five starters and seven bench players is good. That feels just limited enough to where these choices were very difficult. Yeah. If we if we made this like a 20-man team, it would just get too convoluted. To some extent, I feel like this is a, a good amount, sort of just like drafting a real team. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm trying to look just at the last few drafts here, like guys who would be obvious inclusions now. There's not not as many as I would have thought. Uh, you know, like Halliburton, I think is on the list. You you could consider guys like Edwards and LaMelo Ball, like they would get yeah. heavy consideration, um, you know, but then it's like all, all of a sudden, like last year's draft class, I feel like it's kind of lost it a little bit. Uh, like I, I, like Evan Mobley would be on my list. I, but like the numbers aren't overwhelming. Scotty Barnes is kind of plateaued. Uh, you know, it's like, you're, you're probably not taking Shangun, uh, Kate Cunningham, who knows he played like two games right. this year. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. There, there are fewer, like no doubters than I would have thought. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think Cave would get drafted if we did this again, to be honest. Yeah, and I I think part of it is obviously the skepticism of the injury, but I think the other part of it is there's just so many guys that it would be tough to justify taking him over some guys who are just, you know, more proven commodities. Right, exactly. Where would Wembenyama go, out of curiosity? Sorry to spring this on you, but... No, that's... I, I was I mean, actually... Are we talking top 10? I was actually just thinking that. What about the rights to Wembenyama? Um, I mean, I do. I feel like my draft definitely fell off. Uh, like that's my sort of Trey Young. So sort of what is that? Like my fifth, sixth, seventh, mm-hmm. eighth. Like my ninth pick is where I sort of I don't feel as comfortable right now, um, or, or where I think. Um, so I think I think maybe he would go like 15 to 20, you know. Yeah, for sure. I, I was thinking maybe, maybe even higher. Yeah. But it's like I, I I mean even looking back on this it's like would I would I take him over I don't even know if I would take him over Paul George right now like in theory. It mm, it, it sounds like yes, of course you would, but and some of it too is like I don't know, maybe you put this in context of I'm building this this fun, this um this fictional team of all superstars who, who really cares if I mess up on my one pick? Like if I, if I take Wembenyama sixth yeah. and it doesn't work out, who cares? Cause my seventh guy right. is Kevin Durant. I think what's interesting about Wembenyama too, is your, everybody, myself included is kind of assuming that he's going to be good right away. Like I don't, I don't think there's going to be this like five-year runway. Like obviously he's going to improve as he, as he gets older. But I, I think the idea is that like, it's, it's, possible that he could just be like a top 20 guy right away and there's like not many rookies i would say that about but it's in the realm of possibility so when you're talking about a five-year time span it's like i mean what you're you're assuming that at least by year three i mean he could be competing for mvps like we've seen young players do that in recent years already yeah and at the very least he's just gonna be in a probably an elite defender 
So you have that as like your absolute baseline. And then right. you add in the, the, the three point shooting and the insane transition offense. And um, yeah, this is I'm, that's obviously why people view, view him as basically a, a can't miss. I mean, Luca was 29, nine and nine as a second year player. That is just completely out of hand as a 20 year old. Um, so that, that to me is kind of the baseline. I obviously he's a completely different player. You're not going to expect those kind of like assist numbers. He's just going to affect the game differently, but um, it, it does feel like anything short of that will be somewhat of a disappointment, you know, in, in terms of that kind of impact that soon, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. This, this did not, this was not supposed to be a Victor Wembanyama <laughs> discussion by any means. Last thing I have is we, we each picked a coach. Uh, you went with Dick nurse. And for some reason, it looks like I went with Jeff Van Gundy. Yeah, you did. You said you're just you're pulling him out of you're pulling him out of retirement. He's he's been rumored for several jobs since we did this. So I, you know, I I I don't know who else I would take over him. And if you were if you were redoing it right now, would you still take Nurse? Uh I don't think that's like a, I don't think that's like a bad pick, is it? I it's not bad. No, I mean I I don't know that there's like another super obvious candidate. It's like probably Spolstra is the default answer. Yeah, Spolstra. Maybe there's still something to be said about Pop. I like Ty Lue a lot. I think what he's done in LA. Ty Lue against the Lakers. Underrated. Yeah. Um, I think those are the guys. Yeah. How about you? I mean, if you if if Jeff Van Gundy was not available, if he declined to take the job, man, yes. Stan Van Gundy probably. Right. Um, no, I I don't know. I. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anybody super obvious. I, I think we're right. I mean, you could go with like, I guess, like you know, Michael Malone's got his team at number one in the West. Maybe him. Uh, you know, Taylor a lot of people like Billy Green. Yeah, Taylor Jenkins for sure. Uh, Steve Kerr, I, I think, probably deserves mention as well. True. Yeah, Steve. Kerr. Uh, that's probably it. I'm not. I'm not taking Darvin Ham. I'm not taking Chauncey Billups. I certainly am not taking Stephen Silas. Um. So yeah, I don't. I, don't, I think I'm sticking with JVG. That's my final answer. Is this uh is this kind of becoming a tough look for Chauncey Billups? I feel like he's maybe one of the least like talked about coaches. Like it always feels like we're talking about how disappointing Portland is, right? Like Portland's disappointing. Yeah. Thought we we're good. I feel like nobody even brings up the fact that Chauncey Billups is their coach. Uh yeah, I routinely forget that he's their coach, and then they're they play like the the late uh, TNT game on a Thursday, and it's like, oh yeah, there's Chauncey Billups and <laughs> looking good in the Q zip. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's an incomplete grade. Like they they played so well early in the year, and you know, we were we were singing his praises. I mean, they were ten and four at one point. Uh, you know, they were seventeen and thirteen not that long ago. Which being four games over five hundred in the West is is a pretty decent accomplishment. Uh, but yeah, they've they've fallen off really over the last month or so. And um, I don't I don't know where they go. Like I I don't feel like they're a buyer or a seller right now as as the deadline approaches. Well, I think their bench is really poor. I think that's part of the problem. Very bad. And I, but I think I think they have to legitimately consider what can we get for Anthony Simons? Because sure, I mean obviously Number two like, in the league and made threes. It it kills you to have to like in theory trade a guy like that. But if you need to make a move for a more of a win now player, not I mean not too many young guards in the in the league have a um have have a stock like he does. I think huh. um twenty three years old. I don't know exactly who you would get, but ideally probably a defender in the backcourt, right? I feel like that's been their Achilles heel in the Lillard era. It's like they're, you know, they had McCollum and now they have Simons. Neither, that's just a, a horrible defensive backcourt. You're going to get cooked every game. So if you can flip Simons for like a, a guy in the backcourt who can play a little defense, 
Maybe yeah, just I just do that. I don't know who that is because it has I don't to be know somebody. Either. It has to be somebody where you don't feel like you're dropping off because you unless you're unless you're just kind of punting on the season and you know playing for next year. But I, I don't really get that feeling. And you know, even if they're doing that, it's like they're not going to get into the bottom three or the bottom five or even the bottom seven probably. So like I, I don't know. They're they're kind of in that dead zone. It's like. Yeah, like what like elite defensive guard is out there? There's just not that many of those guys. Like you're not trading for Marcus Smart. You're not trading for no. Drew Holiday. Like who, who else is even out there? I I don't know. RJ Barrett. Yeah, RJ Barrett. <laughs> I'm shocked by the way that RJ Barrett was not brought up in that draft. He was in the league. I, I can't believe I didn't at least, <laughs> you know, slide him in as my 12th guy. He was only a rookie at that point. All right. He's averaging 14 yeah. a game. I'm 13 shots. Right, but if anything, I should have been higher on him then than at any point over the last few years. Was that his best year? Uh, uh, arguably, in some ways, yeah. All right, we, we got to wrap this thing up. We'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, going to do another episode, uh, kind of diving into some other topics. And uh, you'll be back on, on Friday with Ken and Shannon as well. So keep an eye out for both of those in your feed. You'll also be joining us on the three-hour marathon Sirius XM show tomorrow night, or tomorrow night, excuse me, tonight on Wednesday. So if, if you're a Sirius XM listener, if you, if you check out the Rotowire show, make sure to tune in tonight. We got Alex coming on. We got Dan Titus uh, from Yahoo coming on as well. Going to talk plenty of hoops, but uh, we'll, we'll talk again on Thursday, Alex. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.